Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and let's go to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 15 this morning, the book of Mark. In chapter 15, as we come to the end of our study in the book of Mark, a sermon this morning, then perhaps one more next week, and then we'll jump into a Christmas study as we round out the end of this year. And then we're looking forward to, in the, in the beginning of the new year, unveiling our theme for 2023. And it doesn't really feel like we should already be saying 2023, does it? I'm just getting used to saying 2022, and yet, here we are at the end of the year. Mark chapter 15, and we're going to read verse number 37, verse 38, and verse 39. Mark chapter 15, verse 37, 38, and 39. If you found your place, and if you're willing and able, stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 15. Verse 37, verse 38, verse 39. From 1961 until 1989, there was a wall in Berlin. It divided East Germany from West Germany. The wall was a physical barrier that separated one side from the other. But the wall came to represent much more than a physical barrier. The wall separated Western Europe from the Eastern Bloc nations. It was called the Iron Curtain. Some of you are old enough to remember that. It was a time when historically uh, we and the United States were uh, at great odds and a high tension against the Soviet Union. In 1989, there were these small revolutions that took place in Poland and in Hungary. And people realized that the wall symbolized a restriction on liberties and freedoms. Those those revolutions actually were precipitated by an event. President Ronald Reagan at the time made a speech in 1987. And during that speech, he made a very famous statement at the speech when he said... Well, Mr. Gorbachev, how many of you remember what he said? Tear down the wall. Long before there was a wall in Berlin that separated one part of the nation from the other, there's a wall that separated man from God. Wasn't concrete, wasn't barbed wire. Instead, it was woven woven fabric. It was hung in the temple there at Jerusalem. And unlike the wall in Berlin, this was not a wall of hostility. This was a wall of holiness. It separated a holy and righteous God from unholy man. No one was permitted to cross behind that curtain, except one man, the high priest, and he could only do it one time a year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Take the blood of the sacrifice, he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. 
the top of the Ark of the Covenant. When Jesus is crucified, the Bible records something specific that happened in that place. Something specific that happened to that barrier. The Bible begins in verse number 37 of Mark 15 and it reads like this. And when Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. So so look here for a second. The, the authors of the Bible go way out of their way to help you and I understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he is not dying because he was murdered. He is not dying because of suffocation. He is not dying because of exhaustion. The Bible says that when Jesus died, no man took Jesus' life from him, but rather Jesus laid his life down. So you're you're given pictures of this. He cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Other passages of the gospel accounts says that in that point Jesus replies to the Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He prays and then he dies. Be very, be very certain of this. No man took Jesus' life from him. Jesus sacrificially, voluntarily, willingly and gladly laid his life down for you and for me. Jesus cried with a loud voice and he gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. And Jesus on the cross, the Bible records for us, removed the barrier that separated unholy humanity From a holy and righteous God. He tore the curtain in two. That's what the Bible says. Look at it again. The veil, the curtain of the temple was rent. It was torn in twain. So in two from the very top to the very bottom. What does this mean that this curtain was torn in two? Why is it important? Why does it matter? With everything else that's happening in the crucifixion scene, why do they record this event? All the Gospels record it. Why do they record this event? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use your word in our lives and teach us the truth of this passage, the freedom that we have in you because of what Christ accomplished for us. The barrier that was removed. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. It's easy to overlook one sentence like this. It's easy to assume that it's simply a minor detail of the story. And that even though it only gets one verse here in our text this morning, it's, it has significant impact for our lives. 
In fact, what I'm going to present to you this morning is that I believe that this is one of the most liberating verses in all of the Bible for, for several reasons. First, this verse teaches us that the barrier that separated us from God was removed. First, the barrier was removed. So the, the Bible teaches us that the temple was torn down, it was destroyed in 70 AD, just as Jesus had predicted that it would be. It was never rebuilt. And the reason the temple was not rebuilt was because when the Romans destroyed it, they took occupation of that part of the land and they've never given that region of Jerusalem back over to the Jews. Inside of the temple, there were different sections, different courts. So if you were to look into the temple, there were different chambers which signified different things. I think we have a, a picture of this uh, view inside of the temple. You had really two chambers in the middle of the temple. You had a place on the picture behind me called the holy place. So this was the first chamber that the priest could come into. There was this outer court, this inner court, as it was called. In the picture behind me, it's the light gray area, the holy place. But there was another chamber inside of the temple, which was called the Holy of Holies. It was the place where the Ark of the Covenant resided. It was the place where God's presence dwelt. And what separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies was this curtain. Now, when you think about a curtain, I do not want you to think about the drapes you have at your house, okay? I don't want you to think about that. This is much more elaborate than that. The curtain in the temple is described for us in Exodus chapter 26. And the Bible says that it was a curtain of blue and purple and scarlet, fine twined linen, cherubs that were um, woven into the fabric of it. The Jewish writers said that it was 60 feet long, it was 20 feet wide, and it was as thick as a man's hand. It was so heavy that it required 300 men, Josephus teaches us, in order to lift it up. The Bible says... In Mark 15, that that curtain which separated the holy place from the holy of holies was torn in two on the day that Jesus died. Now you may say, well, pastor, why was there a curtain in that place? And the reason there was a curtain was because it was, rem it was a reminder to God's people, to people everywhere, to stay away, that God was a holy and a righteous God, that he was not to be approached in sin or in unholiness. He is not a God to be trifled with. And so there were all of these barriers that were put in place. There in the temple, there was a court for the women. There was a court for the Gentiles. All of these different courts, all of these different regions were ways of God reminding his people that he was a holy 
and a righteous God. Now inside of the Holy of Holies, only one man could go. The high priest. We've already encountered the high priest in the crucifixion story. He is the man who has given himself to overseeding the treason and the blasphemy charges that they've laid on Jesus Christ. He's a man in the Bible named Caiaphas. Only Caiaphas, the high priest, was the one man who could enter into the Holy of Holies at one time of the year. He could only go at certain times. He could only do certain things. He couldn't hang out in that space. He couldn't just sit around in that room. He couldn't go there to just clear his thoughts or his mind. He could only go there for one specific reason, the Day of Atonement, the applying of the blood to the mercy seat. I want you to think about it for a moment. Inside of the Holy of Holies, Jesus, in his humanity, never went behind that curtain. Moses never went behind that curtain. None of the prophets that you have read through or read about went behind that curtain. No king in the Old Testament ever went behind that curtain. Peter and John and James and Thomas and all of the disciples and Matthew and Paul, none of them were ever allowed to go behind that curtain. Only one man one time a year, according to the law, Exodus 26, Leviticus 16, could go behind the curtain. But it's more than that. When that man, when that one high priest went behind the curtain that one time out of the year, he had to wear special garments. He had to put on special things. He had to tie to his ankle a rope and a bell. So that way, if he had entered into that space with sin in his life, he would be struck dead by a holy and a righteous God. He'd be found in judgment on that moment. He'd fall over dead. They'd pull the rope, shake the bell. If he didn't respond, then they'd drag him out and the next guy in line was up. Everything about this space said, stay away. Everything about this space screamed, you are not qualified to stand in front of a holy and righteous God. Do not enter. How many have ever seen a sign like that? Do not enter. And how many of you think when you see a sign like that, man, I'm going to walk right through that sign. I'm not going to, they can't tell me not to go in there. Don't they know who I am? The curtain was a sign that said, do not enter. You're not qualified. It's a reminder to us that God is a holy God. You need to hear that this morning. God is a holy and righteous God. And we are sinners. You are a sinner, I am a sinner. It's a reminder that our sin separates us from God. What is taught in the temple? What is taught in the curtain? What are taught in all of these courts is that sin will keep you from God. Listen very closely. Sin separates you and I from a holy and a righteous God. When we harbor sin in our hearts, when we harbor sin in our lives, it keeps us from a holy and a righteous God. This is why the curtain was there. But there's something specific happening in Mark 15. And what's specific that's happening is the curtain 
that's there that separated sinful humanity from a holy and righteous God. The Bible reads very simply, the veil of the temple, the curtain of the temple. That curtain that was as thick as a man's hand that took 300 men to lift into place that was woven with fine linen and all kind of etchwork. That, that curtain, the Bible says, was rent. It was torn in two from top to bottom. Now you need to know this, that it was an act of God. It was not an angry mob of rioters that ran into the temple, grabbed the curtain, and ripped it in two. It wasn't some renegade priest that ran into the temple and pulled out a knife and started cutting away at the temple curtain. The temple was not taken down and rolled up. The Bible says it was torn. The temple wasn't unhooked and folded and properly stored so they could get it out the next year. The Bible says the temple, the curtain rather, was torn. It was ripped. You say, well, why? Why is God doing this act at the moment that Jesus is giving up the ghost? And the answer is because he is canceling out this mosaic system. He is canceling out the way in which we had been required to approach God. It is very likely that the high priest Caiaphas is approaching the altar at the exact moment that this curtain is torn to. The man who condemned Jesus to death before the Sanhedrin, the man who laid the charge of blasphemy on Jesus, the man who laid the charge of treason on Jesus, that man is approaching the temple as God is rejecting that sacrifice. God tearing the temple in two is removing the barrier. But there's a second thing that's happening here, and that is this. Not only is God removing the barrier, but God is allowing access to be granted. God is allowing access to be granted. God made himself available to all people. Why is the temple, why is the curtain torn? God has made himself available to all people. Take your Bible and walk forward in your Bible. Go, go toward the back and find the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews gives us more insight to this thing. Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And you're going to pick up with me in verse number 19. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 19, the Bible reads like this. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, through the curtain. That is to say, his flesh. We have a new and living way for which we can boldly come into the holiest place that we can enter into that space. How? How so? By the blood of Jesus Christ. That no matter what your background is, 
no matter what your nation is, no matter what your tongue is, no matter what your tribe or your clan were, no matter your socioeconomic status, no matter where you are from, if you have professed, if you have believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you are given access to God the Father through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what your background is or was. You may have been a hitman in the mob for the last 10 years. You have access to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. The, the author of Hebrews says, having therefore, listen to it, boldness to enter. Having a, a confidence to be able to approach a holy and a righteous God. In other words, we do not approach God sheepishly. We, we do not approach God bashfully. We do not approach God with a shamefacedness. We approach God boldly. We, we, we do not come to God saying, Please do not step on me. No, no, no. We come to God boldly. Why? Because we are confident in who? In what? Because we are confident in the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I tend to base my confidence in coming close to God on how I have measured up over the last previous few days. I, I tend to think that if I lived my life in a particular way, by a particular list of standards, then I can have confidence. If I consider my, myself to have failed in living up to a particular standard, well then I, well then I shouldn't have confidence. But the writer of Hebrews doesn't appear to be thinking in these kind of categories at all. The writer of Hebrews says, no, listen, brothers and sisters, we have confidence that we can approach God. Why? Because we are covered by the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he describes it in a particular way. He describes it like this, a new and living way. A new and living way. The old way was a dead way. The old road to God was the dead end road. Under the Old Testament economy, you had to make a sacrifice of an animal. You had to make sacrifice all the time, every year, on the Day of Atonement. You had to do this regularly, over and over and over again. And once you sacrificed that one animal, then you had to live good enough, long enough, to get you to the next time that you had to sacrifice another animal. 
And once you made the sacrifice of that animal, you had to live good enough, long enough, in order to get to another sacrifice for another animal. And you had to keep bringing animal after animal after animal and making it a sacrifice for you. The Bible says it's a dead end road. But the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the living Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world was a once and for all sacrifice for you and for me. It's new and living. It's just as fresh today as if it had happened yesterday. 2,000 years removed from the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ is still effectual. It's still sufficient. It's still fresh. That's literally the word, living. It's still fresh for you and for me. You say, why? Why is Jesus' death some 2,000 years removed still effectual for us today? And here is why. Because although Jesus was once slain on the cross, Jesus did not stay dead. Jesus rose from the grave. We serve a risen Savior. That's the Savior that we have. The Bible says, Whoever liveth and maketh intercession for us. The sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ still lives today. You know, under the old way, under the Mosaic law, none of those animals ever bounced back to life. They never made a sacrifice of a lamb and they burnt the sacrifice, disposed of the remains, and then it just popped right back up again a few days later. Never happened. But when Jesus Christ cried with a loud voice, yielded his own spirit to God, gave up the ghost, giving his life in our place, the Bible says that three days later, literally, physically, Jesus rose from the grave for us. His sacrificial death on the cross has made God available to us. The Bible says that Jesus went about his life for 40 days here on the earth showing and making himself known to his disciples, to his followers. And then the Bible says at the beginning part of the book of Acts and at the end of the Gospels that Jesus ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. And there Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God forever making intercession for us. So that you and I can have a boldness as we come to Jesus Christ, as we come to a holy God through Jesus Christ. He lays claim to us when we have put our faith and trust in him. He seals us with the spirit and he lays claim to us so that as we approach a holy and a righteous God, God in his holiness and in his righteousness and his judgment looks on you and me. And he does not see the religious works of David Delaney and he does not see the sinful deeds of Dave Delaney. Instead, he sees the sacrificial death of his son 
the Lord Jesus Christ and he treats me like he should have treated Jesus. And he does that for you so that you can come boldly to the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why can I come boldly to God? Well, not because you've lived up to a list. You can come boldly to the throne of God because Christ has made it available to us. But I need you to hear this point. You say, well, I want to come boldly to God. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. Religion will not get you to God. There is no other way to God except through the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way to the Father. And no man comes to the Father but by me. The only way to God is through your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you this morning placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as the only way to be brought into the presence of God? Have you seen his sacrificial death on the cross as enough, as enough for you, as enough for me? You see the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ as confidence giving. As confident, as boldness giving. Brethren, having boldness we enter in two. And my kids, when they were little especially, they had a boldness to enter into my office. I made it very clear to my kids at a very early age, whenever you need dad, you can just come right into my office. Sometimes the door is closed and the secretary will peek in. If she see me with somebody, she has to turn around and go back. She can't come in. The door is closed. Sometimes in a meeting session or a counseling session and an assistant pastor wants to come in, he peeks through the window, oh, he's talking to somebody, I'll, I'll come back later. There's no confidence to enter, no access given. But I always told my kids, if you ever want to come see dad, just come right through the door. Why? Because you're mine and I'm yours because you belong to me and I belong to you. And there's no barrier that ever keeps you from me. You want to march in, march in. And trust me, they did. Just come parading right through the door. Can I have a sucker? Yeah, here there's a sucker. Okay, now get now. Now you, you got to go out because we're in counseling session right here, okay? Boldness to enter. Based on what? Based on the relationship they had with their dad. Based on their understanding of the relationship we had. Boldly could enter. Listen to me, believer. You and I have the same boldness to enter into the presence of God. Not based on our performance, based on our relationship with God through Jesus. And Christ died on the cross. The Bible says the curtain was torn from top to bottom. Why? Well, because the, the barrier was removed. 
unholy humanity could approach a holy and righteous God. Why? Because that holy and righteous God humbled himself, took on flesh, and came to us. The form of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we celebrate at Christmas time. And what did Jesus do here? Jesus made a way for us to come to God. How did Jesus do that? Jesus did that through his sacrificial death on the cross for you and for me. Do you see how much God loves you? Does that not turn your heart over? Does nothing that grip you? Does that not shake you to the very core? To understand that God would give his all to make a way for me and us all to be able to be with him demands my all. It necessitates a response. If God would do that for me, then certainly I can serve him. Is this not the argument from Romans 5 and Romans 6? Do you know this morning the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you placed your faith and trust in Him? The curtain was torn. The barrier was removed. Access to God had been granted, but a final thought. Hope had been confirmed. The author of Hebrews, a few chapters before chapter 10 and chapter 6, he says it like this, just walk backwards just a few verses or a few pages. Hebrews chapter 6 and look at verse number 19. Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 19, the Bible reads like this. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and that which entereth into that within the veil, behind the curtain, whether the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You hear what he said? That you and I in this life can have a confidence and an assurance and a hope a hope that is sure. A hope that is steadfast. Why? Because Christ entered into the Holy of Holies for us. Because he took down the veil for us. The, the writer of the song records it this way. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And the second verse of that song reads, When darkness seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace that in every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil. The, the, the songwriter is saying the exact same thing Hebrews is saying. That although the storms of life toss this way and that way, although they beat against the house of my life, although they threaten to overwhelm me, although they threaten to drown me, although they threaten to wash me away, I have an anchor in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is sure and steadfast. You know, there are all kinds of things in this life that threaten to overturn our hope. 
It's easy for us to look at the things in our world and get discouraged. We live at a time when good is called evil and evil is called good. It's easy to get discouraged. We live at a time when moral values are spiraling downward. It's easy to get discouraged. We live at a time when it's difficult to navigate all the conversations at the office or in the home or with your family or with your friends. It's easy to get discouraged. We live at a time when it's easy to get discouraged, not just externally, but we live in a time when it's easy to get discouraged internally. People we had put our faith and hope and confidence in have betrayed us. Friends abandoned us. People left us. It's easy to look inward and realize our own failures and flaws and shortcomings and imperfections and mistakes. We live in a time when it's easy to be discouraged. And that is why Christians need the constant reminder that they have a hope that's anchored not in the things of this world, not in the things of ourselves, but we have a hope that's anchored to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That God intervened for us one day in the past and God will intervene for us one day in the future. God was completely in control then and God is completely in control now. God has all of us in the palm of his hand. Do we go through storms in this life? Yeah. Does the water get high? Yeah. We feel exhausted? Yeah. But the anchor holds. Why? Because I'm not anchored to myself. I'm anchored to a risen Savior who liveth and abideth forever. Do you see? The, the curtain torn gives us hope. It gives us hope in this life. 